Good morning again. My name is Randy. It's great to have you with us today. Uh, what an awesome day. I mean, when you can wear a short sleeve shirt in November, it's a good day in my book. It really is. I'm, I'm really glad you're here. We're in the uh, series. In fact, this is the last message in this series. It's amazing how, time, how quickly things go by. Uh, but I believe that God's been moving when, is moving when His Spirit moves in people and the Word is spoken. And so I'm excited about today. Uh, we've been talking for a, free, a few weeks now. This is the fourth week in a series called uh, Tell Someone. And uh, we've been talking about the command that God's given us to share our faith with other people. And one of the analogies that Jesus used in the Bible was to be fishers of men. Fishers of men. I know a lot of people who love to fish. Some are fanatic about it. Others just like to go if they can get away. Uh, but fishing is a pretty cool analogy to think about sharing our faith and drawing them to Jesus. And so I was uh, kind of uh, intrigued when I heard this story about a fisherman in Ohio. Uh, he was fishing for muskie. And I don't know if you ever fished for muskie. I went one time. They call it the fish of a thousand casts, I think what they call it. And it is, it's not fishing, it's work. I mean, I don't want to go work when I go fishing. So uh, I, I'm not a muskie fisherman. But this guy was fishing, and, you know, he didn't, couldn't get a strike, and nothing happened. He, he saw something on top of the water. So uh, he thought it must be a fish, fish rising. So he threw his lure over there several times, no luck, no strike, but it kept on uh, rising on, on top of the water. And so he decided to just putter over there and see what it was. So he gets over there and he looks down, and there beside the boat is this huge muskie. I mean, a massive fish, which is kind of unusual because they're pretty elusive. They're a very uh, shy fish. And, uh, but this one on top of the water, just laying there, you know. And so he takes a leather glove, reaches down, grabs this fish by the gill, and pulls it into his boat. It turns out to be a 53-pound muskie, which is a massive fish, any kind of fish, a big fish, drug it into his boat. It, was, uh, it would have been a state record if he'd caught it on tackle, rod and reel. But he was interviewed about that, and he was asked, well, how, how did you do that? I mean, that's, that's pretty unusual. And this is what he said, kind of a classic uh, answer for a fisherman. He said, well, I was at the right place at the right time, and I was fool enough to grab it. And then I had to do something with it, so I drug it in a boat. You know, when Jesus talks about being fishers of men, he tells us that we ought to draw men to him as he is drawing them to the Father. And, and it means that we have to do more than just be in the right place at the right time and be fool enough to grab and reach out for somebody. It means that we have to be kind of intentional. We have to be intentional in what we do. And so that's why we've taken some time to talk about that. You know, one thing that I haven't mentioned that I think is important to remember is that the Bible says that God is drawing people to himself, that God is drawing people. And we never know what God is doing behind the scenes. In fact, here's what he said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So we never know how God's working in someone's life. Maybe they never talk about it, some issue, some relationship challenge, you know, health, finances, who knows what it is. And through that, God is drawing this person, they're, they're curious, they're wondering. So we need to be open and willing to use, be used by God when God makes the opportunity obvious and when he is drawing so that we can pull, pull them and draw them and hook them up to the greatest fisherman of all. So we ought to always be ready to go fishing. Guys, you can tell your wife, I'm ready to go fishing anytime, but, but not just for fish. Let's, let's fish for men like Jesus talked about. Well, last week we were in John chapter 4, and we were looking at the story of Jesus' encounter with a Samaritan woman. And we talked about how unusual this was uh, for several reasons. Number one, that Jesus didn't spend a lot of time in Samaria. Uh, Jews and, and Samaritans didn't, didn't associate a great deal. They kind of disliked each other intensely. Uh, also, the fact that he was a man, she was a woman, that strange men and women did not ever talk to each other. 
We talked about this woman's character, uh, the fact that she was kind of a had, a, had a had a tough life, that she'd been married and divorced five times, living with the guy at that time she was not married to, which was very unusual in that culture. And, and even this, the circumstances they're meeting, they met about noon at a well, and normally nobody came to the well at noon. Obviously, she had come because she was trying to avoid everybody else. And so in our study, we looked at a few things about Jesus and how he did evangelism, how he shared the good news with people. And we said, first of all, they had a burden to share with this woman. He had to go or he needed to go is what the Bible says. Now, he could have gotten to where he was going different ways, but he needed to go because there was a burden on him. I think sometimes we as Christians, we don't have a burden to talk to people about Jesus. We're not burdened by the fact that they don't have a connection or the promise of eternal life. And we ought to have a burden for that. I, I pray that God would lay a burden on all of us for the people in our life that we might need to reach out to. We also talked about the fact that he was listening to his Father and to the Holy Spirit, that sometimes the, sp the Spirit speaks in us and through us, and, and we have to be willing to respond. I don't know about you, but I've had a lot of times when God just says, hey, you need to talk to this person. You need to talk to this person. You know, uh, Eric mentioned a young man who came in the other night. I, I, uh, I didn't get a chance to tell him a lot of that story, but he came in, he was burdened with something else. And, and so I, I talked to him and gave him a little bit of practical advice, and, and I prayed with him. And there, it was just, you know, the Lord said, you need to share the gospel with this young man. You know, and I was pressed to do other things, but I thought, you know what, I need to, I need to share the gospel. And so in a short time, I, I shared the gospel with him, and God had been working and drawing him, and so he was moved, and he accepted Christ right there. And um, our plan, that, that's awesome what God does when he moves. But our, our plan is that for him to be baptized on Wednesday. You know, God, when God wants to do something, we have to be available. And we have to listen to what he has to say. And I miss plenty of those circumstances myself, I'm telling you. You know, every now and then I, I, I connect and listen, but I know I miss a lot too. We also talked about the fact that Jesus used tact and he was respectful of this woman, that we have to respect people and that we don't need to be obnoxious and offensive to people, that we can use our, we can make our point without making an enemy. We talked about how it was a conversation, that we need to be able to talk to people, not just preach to people. Uh, he asked her questions, he listened when she responded, and these are all things that we need to do and practice whenever we talk to people about Jesus. But I want to take a few more steps in that same chapter and look at this woman and how she responded, because as he began to tell her these things and began to speak, she began to question if he might be the Son of God, the Savior of the world. She was a spiritual woman looking for something. And so she responded to him and said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus said to her, I am the Messiah. You know, this is a little bit unusual because in other cases, Jesus would not acknowledge who he was. In fact, when people figured it out, he told them not to tell anybody. But here's a situation where he blatantly says, I am the Messiah. I'm the one you're talking about. And instantly, the woman believed. You know what I've discovered? It does not take very long for someone to believe in Jesus and, and make a commitment. And when they do, they need to be able to respond. So you ought to be prepared and expect that God's going to do something, that God's going to move and work in someone's heart and life, and for them to respond. I wonder how many people that we have been drawn to God, ready to believe, ready to respond, but we don't know or we don't act to help them do so. They're looking, they're searching, they're, they're wanting to know, and they're curious, and we might, we don't know what to do. We might, you know, try to give them some good advice, but we don't know how to actually lead them to Christ. 
But what's amazing in this case is that obviously Jesus knew what to do, and so he moved in this woman's life, and she was convinced that he was the Messiah, and immediately she believed, and immediately she became an evangelist. We talked already about how quickly people can turn around and be prepared to bring other to Jesus once they come to Jesus themselves, and that's what this woman did. In verse 28, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? And so the people came streaming from the village to see him. You know what our job often is to do is tell people, come and see. Just come and see what we've experienced. That's the invitation. I believe the easiest spiritual conversation to have with somebody is to invite them to church. Come and see. Come and see. It may not be everybody's cup of tea, you know, the way that our style, but come and see. Just come, just invite them to come. Now, keep in mind that this woman uh, was well known by the people of the village. They knew about her past. They knew about her current situation. But they also knew that there was something happening in her life, that there was a transformation taking place, and so they eagerly followed her out to Jesus. You know there's a change taking place because they had discounted this woman. They gossiped about this woman. Now suddenly they're following this woman. Why? Because something changed in her life. She was moved. And they moved to follow her. And they came out and listened to Jesus. Now from this, I want us to find some lessons, some practical lessons about sharing our faith with other people. Because I think this woman gives us a great example, some things that we need to know. I needed to know and be reminded of. Number one, sharing your story is a powerful bridge for the gospel message. Sharing your story is a powerful message for the powerful bridge for the message. We call it a testimony. That's just a big word for your story. Don't get hung up on testimony or witness or words like that. Uh, your story is important. In fact, your story is the most powerful tool that you have because no one else has the same story and because no one can argue with you about your story. No, you know, it is unique to you what God's done in your life. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't need to know and study the Bible. Let me just emphasize this. We ought to be able to explain the simple truth of the gospel, how, how we are loved by God, but we're broken by sin, that Jesus came into our world, sent by God his Father. He was perfect to come and die so we could be forgiven, restored to God, one day live in heaven with him. And we can share the invitation that's offered to everyone to come to Christ. We need to know that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to review that before we wrap up today and give you some really quick bullets that you can take home with you. But you need to know that. And then they may argue about how valid that is. They may argue about how you understand the Bible. They may argue and not agree about what you say about their need and responsibility to respond. But the one thing they cannot argue or disagree with is your testimony. It's irrefutable. Nobody can, can deny what God's done for you. And it's a great way to share your faith without getting in people's face, you know. Let me tell you what God has done for me. Everybody could do that. If you've let him do anything in your life, you can tell other people. You can tell someone. You know, it, the Scripture goes on to say, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did, the power of a testimony. And then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. Do you see that? They initially believed because of what she said. Her testimony was powerful, even though it was probably brief. And all this happened in a, in, in a very short time span. But then they came and saw Jesus, and they said, okay, now we believe not only because of what he's done for you, but what he's done for us as well. See, our job is to connect people 
to Jesus, to help move people on a simple journey toward Jesus. Understand that about your testimony. Number two, in sharing your faith, don't glorify or exaggerate your past. Do not glorify or exaggerate your past. You know, obviously, some people's story is going to be different. It's going to be more radical than others. I've heard some amazing stories of how God has moved into someone's life and delivered them from horrible addictions, from alcohol, drugs, deep sin, crime, any number of things. And that makes a powerful testimony. I love to hear those stories. I had a good friend years ago, and he was a, a, just a really bad alcoholic. And when he gave his life to Christ, he just stopped drinking, never had another drink. I mean, it was powerful. It's incredible. And, and the, the impact he had. But that's not my testimony. That's not my testimony. Maybe not yours either. Maybe you were a good person. You didn't go deep in sin. You didn't have these horrible bad habits. But you still have a testimony. And you know what? Your testimony could be more real to other people than the radical ones. Why? Because not everybody deals like, not everybody lives like that. Not everybody has a, a, a radical, horrible life that they need to give to Jesus. We all, many people have good lives, just good people that need Jesus more than anything else. So just tell your story. Like a blind man that Jesus healed, he said, once I was blind and now I can see. That's a great way. Once I was like this, but now I'm like this. Or another, once I was lost, and now I'm found. Once I was bound for hell, now I'm going to go to heaven. I mean, that's good news. That's the gospel in anybody's life. Here's the third thing. Don't boast about what you gave up for God, but what God gave up for you. Don't boast about what you gave up for God. I went to college with a guy, and he used to tell these stories. Obviously, he had one of those radical rough past. He used to tell us stories of how great it was. And all I could think was, you miss this, don't you? I mean, he would go on and tell us these stories, you know, probably for the impact of power. And, and, and some believers make the past sound like it was better than the future, uh, than the present. I, I've heard people say, you know, it was amazing. It was amazing. I did this and I did that and we had fun and we all these things. And then I gave my life to Jesus and now I don't do any of those fun things anymore. I just go to church and I sit at home. Mm. Remember what your past life was really like. It wasn't all that great, right? Or you'd still be back there. It wasn't all that good. Did you have some fun? Probably so. But it wasn't fulfilling. It wasn't great. It led to loneliness and emptiness and a dead-end life. And that's why you left that to follow Jesus. Keep that in mind. Their life is probably the same. It's empty. That's why they're searching. Here's what Paul said in Philippians 3. Yes, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master, firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. It is dog dung. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. I want to tell you one thing I don't miss living in the country. When I lived in town... And I grew up in the country, but when I lived in town, we had a dog, and I had to walk my dog. You know, in the country, you don't have to walk your dog. You just turn your dog loose, you know, and he walks himself and does his business. But in, in town, you know, you got to walk your dog, and you got to follow your dog, and you had a little plastic bag, you know what I'm saying? you got to clean up after your dog. And when Lori told me I had to do that, I'm like, I'm not picking that up. I'm not, that's nasty, you know. And so we had to pick it up and carry a little bag, you know, and dump it in the trash. I don't miss that living in the country, I, you know. You might step in the wrong place sometime. At least you don't have to pick it up. You know what I'm saying? Paul says, you know what? That's what my past was compared 
to my present. It's dog dung. And you want to throw that stuff away. You don't want to mess with that stuff. It's, it's nasty. And Paul says, everything I thought was great, that's what it's like now. When I look back and I see where Jesus is today, I, or I am today in Jesus, I, it's just it's so much better. Everything I thought was important is gone and replaced with something better. So in your testimony, you need to craft that in a way so you showcase what Jesus has done for you and how much better your life is now. You need to know how much better it is and showcase that. Number four, speak in a language that people understand. I mentioned this before, but don't use Christianese that we so quickly pick up if we're not careful. You know, really, our world today is, is pretty biblical illiterate, and we can come across as irrelevant and out of touch if we use words that nobody knows the meaning of, even words, good words like redemption and justification and sanctification. And it may not even be obvious to someone when you talk about asking Jesus to come into your heart or make a confession of faith. Those are things that we so easily talk about that, that we know and understand. So we have to be really careful that we translate the good news of the gospel into language that people understand. There's a lot of confusing stuff. There's a lot of fake news out there today, right? A lot of confusing stuff and ideas, so we have to keep it very simple. And so I thought, you know, to wrap this series up, I want to be, I want to be so practical and so simple that you walk out of here today and go, I can do that. I can do that. That, that will be success if you walk out today and say, I can do that, and I'm going to do that. So I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you, encourage you, inform you what you need to tell people, all right? So if you want to write something down, this makes some good things to write down. But they're so simple, you probably don't have to write them down. Here's what you can say. Number one, the good news begins with bad news. And the bad news is that we're all sinners. Every one of us are. No matter how good we are, we're all sinners. We've all broken God's law. If somebody says, I'm not a sinner, we'll just say, well, let's just check you out, and let's try how you do on the Ten Commandments. Have you ever lied? Yeah. You ever disobeyed your parents? Yeah. You ever stole anything? Yeah. We're not going any further. Adultery. We don't have to ask them that, you know, but we can nail them on the first two or three. We're all guilty of sin, right? We've all sinned in the simplest way, so we're all sinners. Put us there. Even if we have done even one thing, how many laws do you have to break to be a lawbreaker? One. You're still a sinner. Number two, the good news or the bad news is that our sin separates us from God. It breaks the relationship with God. But then you turn to the good news. The good news is that Jesus sent God, God sent Jesus into the world, born as a human being, live a perfect life, and then to die on a cross to pay for our sins and reconcile us to God. So Jesus came to build a bridge to people. But then you got to say, but there's a condition because his sacrifice only counts in our lives if we believe in him as our Savior and Lord. Only counts if we believe. And we need to confess our sins, repent and turn from our past, be baptized for our sins to be forgiven and removed. And here's the key verse. I, if you notice, I have quoted this every week, and you ought to learn this. This is the simplest verse in the Bible to learn. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's got to be in your toolbox. You got to learn it. There's just nothing, no, nothing else. You got to learn that verse of Scripture because that's what everything kind of else, else kind of springs from it. You should be so familiar with this simple presentation that you can share it at a, at a moment's notice. That right there can transform someone's life. That's why you ought to be able to do that and be comfortable sharing that with people. Let me tell you what, what I've found is that sometimes the hardest part is closing the deal. It's getting people to commit. You know, you can tell them things, but, but how do you get people, how do you take them there? How do you do that? And I was thinking about this, you know, 
it's kind of like popping the question, asking somebody to marry you. Not quite as, not quite as intimate, as obviously, but it's a pretty thing, and you can get nervous doing it, right? And I was thinking about when I asked Lori to marry me. When I, when I asked her to marry me, I made a few mistakes, as most men do, right? So, so one mistake I made was I went to get the ring and didn't, didn't tell her where I was going. Now, that sounds unusual, but we were on a college campus, and it was a small campus, and we saw each other all day, and I disappeared for a few hours. She has no idea where I am. Remember, this was before cell phones, you know? <laughs> nobody, or nobody knew where anybody was, you know? And so I disappeared, and she was frustrated. I just went and didn't even tell her where I was going, you know? I also made a mistake because I got the kind of ring that she specifically said she did not want. <laughs> you know, it was, it was brushed gold, you know? You women are going, no, nah, we don't like brushed gold, you know? Um, but uh, brush go, but I got that ring because I was a college student and I didn't have any money. And that was the best deal I could find, you know. So I got the one that, uh, uh, that she didn't want. And, and then I was nervous, I was super nervous, and she was miffed at me and I was trying to make it right. And, you know, I was nervous, so I forgot to get down on one knee. <laughs> forgot to do it, and you believe that? But on the plus side, let me just say that. On the plus side, I had done a pretty decent job of courting her. And building our relationship, she thought at that point I still had money, you know. She thought at that point. I took her out to our place, covered bridge, you know, out there. And I asked her, and she said yes. The rest is history, 35 and a half years later. That's all good, you know. But <clears throat> I made some mistakes, but because I did the right thing, at the end, you know, it all worked out. And she said yes. Now, obviously, leading someone to Christ is, is not as intimate, but you can make some mistakes you can not know every question that they might possibly ask you. You can feel a little intimidated, but if you are sincere and you build a rapport relationship and you have pure intentions, then you need to make sure that you don't just leave it hanging. You do not just leave it hanging. Remember that you want to lead people to Christ. That, that's an important thought, you know, that you are here to lead people to Jesus, not just point people but lead, lead people. You know, you can't drive people and you can't argue and drag people. But oftentimes we stop and we don't ask for people to actually make a commitment. And we leave people confused and lost. And so we need to ask them, you know, if they would like to accept Christ. Accept Christ. And so, so to be really practical, after I've told you what you can share, after you've given your testimony and you can talk about what the Bible says, uh, here, here's what I encourage people. This is kind of how I do it. I would say, do you believe what we've been talking about? Do you believe that? That's just a really simple question. If they say no, then you got to do, you just got to continue on. But if they say yes, then you, then you ask, would you be willing to just acknowledge that? Would you be willing to say that? The Bible says, if you will confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. And so I always ask people, hey, just say it, that I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then I'll ask people, is there anything that's holding you back right now uh, to, to, or any sin in your life that you're not willing to give up? And at that point, if, if, if the Spirit is moving, they're open, they're probably going to say no. And then I will say, are you willing to change your life to be more like Jesus? And the Bible talks about repentance. That's what repentance is all about. So you've found out about belief. You've led them in a confession. You've helped them repent and acknowledge they need to turn from sin. And then this is what I, this is what I do. I would say, I'm going to pray. I'm just going to say a couple of sentences to thank God for you and your faith. And then I'm going to stop, and I want you to pray. You don't have to pray out loud. 
You can play silently, but I want you to pray. I want you to tell God that you believe in Jesus and you accept him as your Savior and Lord and that you are surrendering your life to him. Thank him for the forgiveness of your sins and ask him to come into your heart. Now, guys, I want to do that right now because I believe that there may be people in the room right now who have never done that. So would you best bow with me right now? Heavenly Father, we want to come to you. We all want to be right. God, not only we know it's important to share our faith, but it's more important that we actually own our faith and that we've made that decision to give our life to Jesus and that we are acknowledging his love and sacrifice for us And we want to acknowledge that he is our Lord and our Savior. God, my prayer is that there are those here today who have never made that decision that right now they would take a moment and they would acknowledge that. They would commit to you. Let's all just keep our heads bowed for a moment. And if you have not done so, would you pray? Would you pray? Amen. Now, if you're sharing your faith and you're at this point, I think you should assume that people are sincere and tell them, you know, the first thing that people did in the Bible when they accepted Christ is to be baptized. That baptism is a symbol of us being, our sins being washed away, us identifying with Christ and his death, his burial, and his resurrection, the fact that we die to ourselves, we are buried with Christ, that's why we immerse and then we're raised up to live a new life in his resurrection. And then if I've shared that with someone, then I would say, then now when would you like to be baptized? And who would you like to be there? And we, we go ahead and plan for that baptism time. And then, as we talked a few weeks ago, that it's not just leading someone to Christ, that now you need to, to parent them a little bit. You need to guide them and make a disciple of them. And so uh, you want to jot down this real quick outline. It's just uh, four letters. As you ought to be remember, it's called the RPGs, the RPGs, R-P-G-S. How, what, do, what does someone do after they become a Christian? Well, they need to read their Bible. And, and if they don't have a Bible that's easy to read, you need to buy them one. That's, that's part of your ownership and your leading. They need to read the Bible. Suggest they start with the book of John. It's a great place to learn about who Jesus is. Then secondly, they need to pray. You've already kind of led them in a prayer, but tell them, you know what, you've got a great opportunity. You can go to God in prayer. And he, you are now his child, and you need to feel free to ask God and, and seek his direction and will for your life. And then the, the G is go to church. You've got to find a church. You cannot be a lone ranger Christian. You just can't do that. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You've got to find a church somewhere. Invite them to church with you. And then the S is share. They need to share their faith. You tell them, now you need to tell somebody else. You need to tell somebody else. Remember, this is a baby Christian that we want to help them get on their feet and get growing. Think of yourself as a spiritual parent or an older sibling, a spiritual sibling, which is what you really are. You're making a disciple. You're fulfilling the Great Commission. And you will need to now go and repeat the process. Now, guys, this is the mission of the church. This is what separates what God really called us to do from what many of us just grew up doing. And that is just showing up on Sunday morning and feeling like that's all I got to do as a Christian. We're called to be not only followers of Christ, but to make followers as well, making disciples. And I want to ask you something, and um, if you don't want to participate, that's fine. Nobody's going to judge you, but, but we all need to be accountable sometime. Let me just ask you this. How many of you 
have done maybe the easiest thing, the simplest thing. How many of you had invited a non-believer to church in the last six months? If, you, if you've done that, just put your hand up. All right. Several of us have. And I don't say that to embarrass anybody, but I say that we all need to be reminded that there are people in our lives, and if you don't know any lost people, then you need to, you need to get to know some. And, uh, but if you do, then you need to invite people to come and see, to come and see. So I want to invite you uh, to invite others, the old, the young, everyone. You know, I love the diversity of our church. I, I have sought for that and longed for that for a long time. I love what God is doing in the diversity of our church, of all people, of all races and all ages and everything. But you know something I see that God's doing in our church lately, that our worship participation is growing. I see that, and that is great. That is awesome. Because you don't know this necessarily, but it's a testimony that God's doing something in your life, in the life of our church. But it's also an important message to other people who come and, because they see something important and significant happening here. Have you ever been to church and you sat as a guest, you sat in the back and it was boring and nothing was happening? Ever been there? I don't ever go back there. And, and I, I don't want us to be a place where people come in and they, they might get the wrong impression that nothing is happening here and that they wasted an hour of their time. I want people to believe and, and be right in, in assessing that something important is happening here. You know, Raph, uh, we love Raph. Uh, he was a staff member left a couple months ago. And uh, he, he shared with us, I'm sure he told you too, many of you, that when he first started going to church, he didn't grow up in a church. He was raised in Boston, and he went because his, uh, his girlfriend, Misty, <laughs> uh, said he had to go, basically. Um, he didn't feel it. You know, he went to church, and he was reluctant, and he didn't want to be there, and he was mad and pouty about it, you know. And, but he went because she, it was really important to her, and he just didn't feel it. But he said one day in a service, one day in a service, he was sitting there, and everybody around him was worshiping. He said, he looked around, he was amazed that everybody around him was, was, was worshiping and was into it. And he thought to himself, you know what? These look like intelligent people. Everybody couldn't be wrong. Everybody here could not be wrong. And so he opened his heart up at that time, and God did a great thing in his life and led him into ministry. So let me just tell you this. When you come to worship, and you put your heart into it, and you engage, and I'm not just talking about the front rows, because that's where a lot of... A lot of people gravitate. You want to worship on the front. You know, I'm talking about in the back because where do our where do guests sit? I sit in the back when I go and I'm not guest somewhere, all right? So we want everyone, your testimony in worshiping people you may never meet will be powerful, powerful. And you can share a testimony to people that you don't know just by your worship. But then maybe when it's over, then you turn, maybe get to know them. So I'm going to wrap up this morning. But before that, I do, I want to show you a short video. I want to show you a video. And this video, I love this. It just warms my heart. And this is a video of one of our members, one of our senior ministers, um, John Broughton, being baptized. Now, you may not know John. John's kind of a low-key kind of guy. I don't know if he's in this service or second. They're normally in second. He's a low-key kind of guy. John's an older guy. And several years ago, John had a stroke. We thought we were going to lose John. We really did. He's, he's limited. Uh, he's got a great personality, great sense of humor but he's limited physically. He walks with a cane. But about a month ago, in his small group, John decided he needed to be baptized. Now, he, is, he has been a part of our church for years, but, you know, he said, I want to be baptized. And, I mean, it, it was kind of cool what was happening. And, and, uh, and the group members decided they would do it. 
They would do it on their own. You know, I don't have to be here when people get baptized. That, that's great. They called me. I was in Lexington. They said, we're going to baptize John. I said, I want to be there if I can. But before I got out of Lexington, I was getting pictures on the phone of John being baptized. It was pretty cool. I was getting video. Let me just tell you this. Uh, if you've not been in the back, you've not been baptized here, getting into the baptistry, it would be difficult for somebody who had a stroke and who doesn't walk well. I think there's like five steps up, five steps down, and then five steps up and five steps down. That's hard for someone. But John said, I want to be baptized. And his small group members said, we're going to do it. You know what I love about it? It reminds me of the story in the Bible where the friends carried this man to Jesus and let him down through the roof. And I was looking at this video thinking, this is awesome. This is biblical in nature. You know, what's happening here that these friends are baptizing John. So I want, I want you to see this, this real quick, and then we'll wrap up. It's a privilege. Uh, it's, it's been my privilege to do this a number of times with people, and it's always a joy in my heart because it means that what's in your heart is Jesus Christ. Okay. And, and because you, Jesus Christ is in your heart, you're feeling a, a need to, to be obedient <laughs> to him. Okay and to do this. Okay. And so this is an act of obedience. Not this isn't what saves you. This is this is uh, what saved you is your change of heart. Okay. And your heart towards Jesus Christ. This is an act of obedience, the first act of obedience that he had when he was first baptized by John the Baptist, his cousin, and uh, and he agreed because the father asked him to do that. And he was asking others to and it was a sign of repentance. It was a sign of washing. And it's also a sign of his death and his burial and his resurrection. So we go under the water. We don't just sprinkle. We, we go under the water. Okay. And, and, and then we're raised up again in the likeness of his resurrection. Okay. So that's, that's the reason why it's such a nice warm pool. Okay. <laughs> and, and we can do that. So, so uh, at this time, Really, all we need to do is, is to, I'm going to get you to, to confirm that uh, your statement of faith, we'll call it, that uh, uh, do you believe, John, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? I do. And do you accept him as your personal Savior? I do. Well, on the basis of that confession of faith, we now are going to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay. All right. So just if you want to cover your nose and bend your knees, and we, the we three of us, have got you. We got you. Okay. We're just gonna go down quick. Is that awesome or what? You know, that is amazing. And uh, there is uh, just an incredible experience whenever you're obedient in that way. But you know what? In light of John, let me just ask you this. What is your excuse? What is your excuse? If you have never been obedient to him, 
in baptism, what is your excuse? You know, in closing, I just want to say I believe there are probably people here who have not given their life to Christ. And maybe just a few moments ago, when I gave a brief presentation of the gospel and I asked uh, some time for prayer, maybe God began to do something inside of you and you felt something stir and you decided today to give your life to Jesus Christ. If so, or if you have prayed in the past to accept Christ and you uh, have not been baptized, then we're going to give you that time to do this. We have a lot of time in our service for baptisms, and we have a baptism. We have, I know, I know at least one this service, and we have a couple second service. You know, if you have not been baptized, we're going to give you the opportunity. We have towels, we have shorts, t-shirts, everything you need for a, a baptism today. In the Bible, when people heard the gospel, they were baptized immediately that same hour. And so today is the perfect day for you to be baptized if you have not been baptized. Or if you know that when you were baptized, it just didn't count because you didn't have a clue what you were doing. You weren't baptized into Jesus Christ. We're going to give you a chance to do that. And if God's moving in your life, now's the time to do it. And so all that you have to do is just walk to those back doors. I'm going to walk that way. You can just come back there. Uh, our staff, Tony will, Tony, will be back there available as well. But we just want to encourage you to do that and just come around and to be obedient to him in baptism. So right now, let's pray together. Let's pray and lift up our hearts to the Lord. God, our hearts are full today uh, because your word has been preached clearly. The gospel has been presented. And God, we have seen one of our own, a, a man who uh, for a lot of people would have enough excuses not to be baptized and say, oh, it's enough, it's enough, I believe. But John said, I got to do it as hard as it was for him. God, thank you for his acknowledgement and his obedience God, thank you for the friends that were faithful to help him. God, remind us that you call all of us to obey, to respond when you, um, when you touch our hearts and draw us to you. And Lord, our prayer is that those who are here today who may need to make that decision, be obedient in this way, would just have the courage to step out and do it. God, we don't want to be complex. It's so simple. It's so easy. And that's how it was done in the Bible. It's how it's done down, been done through the years God, help us to be faithful today in the same way. We love you, Lord. We worship you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.